Well, let me encourage you, if you would, to grab your Bible and join me in the book of 1 Peter chapter 4 is where we'll be spending some time this morning. And as you are turning there in your Bible or in one of the Bibles there in the back of the seats, uh, it is is with a very heavy heart that we gather this morning just in light of what has developed over the last 36 hours or so in the Middle East. And we certainly want to call the church to pray to pray for what is happening, to pray for Israel, to pray as the scripture teaches us in Psalm 122, for peace in Jerusalem. And in the midst of our our prayers as a church, we want to be specifically praying because we have a group of members from our church that are in Israel right now. They, they, were, they were there for a mission trip. Uh, they're there right now in, in the midst of all that has been swirling there. They are safe. They are secure. They're in a very good spot. But we are praying that they can quickly and safely return home to us. And so we want to ask you to join us in that prayer. We have 11 individuals who are members of Shades Mountain that, that, are, that are in Israel right now. So please be praying for them during this service. Please be praying for them them today and please be praying for them in the days ahead as they try to to find the best, safest, wisest way to get across the border and to get to where they can fly home. And we're thankful for all of the personnel that's on the ground there with them from missions organizations that we partner with that are helping them. But please be praying for them. It, It has been a nerve wracking couple of days for them and God's grace has been so evident and so sufficient in this process, but we want to continue to lift them up as a church body. And I'd like to do that right now. So I want to invite you to to pray with me. Let's pray together for, for what is taking place right now in the Middle East. But let's specifically pray right now for these individuals in our church who are ready to come home. And we want to, to find the quickest and safest way for them to do so. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I am so very grateful that in all things, in all things, when we come before you, we know we are praying to a sovereign and reigning God. We know that the events that have transpired over the last 36 hours or so in Israel are not a surprise to you. We know that you understand every detail of all that's happening there. And Lord, we come before you as a church wanting to do exactly what your word lays before us in Psalm 122. We pray for peace in Israel. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem for those who love her. Father, we are praying that you would intervene, that you would work in power in the midst of this conflict, in the midst of this generations old hostility. And we pray, Lord God, that through it all, through all the hardship, through all the difficulty that so many are encountering right now, that there would be a turning to you, that there would be people who would trust in you in this situation. 
And Father, specifically as a church, we are praying for our friends and our loved ones who are on this mission trip in Israel right now that that are ready to come home, Lord. And we're grateful for their safety. We're grateful for the care that has been provided for them by individuals that are on the ground there. And we are asking, Lord, for, for divine wisdom as they seek to step forward in this journey to get back to us. Lord, show them your way, show them the path, provide for them. And Lord, I pray that the spirit would comfort them and give them peace in the midst of it all. Father, we trust you. You are faithful. You are what we need. And when we see the brokenness and hostility of this world, we are reminded of our need for the Savior. So Lord, we are asking today that you would draw near to us as we seek to draw near to you. We pray that your hand would guide us, that you would show us what you desire for us to see, and that you would be glorified through it all. We ask these these prayers in the holy name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let me turn your attention now to a passage of scripture that seems very fitting in the midst of our study of 1 Peter, that we would be landing right here today in light of what is swirling in the Middle East and in the world right now. We are stepping into a message on suffering and persecution This is a message that was planned months ago as we were lining out this series, but the Lord in his sovereignty and in his divine wisdom knew that we would be stepping into this text here at Shades Mountain today. And so I believe wholeheartedly that God has something specific for each of us to see and hear. But I want you to know right up front, this is a very weighty passage of scripture There is nothing lighthearted about this message that that is brought to us through the apostle Peter, divinely inspired by the spirit of God. And there's nothing lighthearted about any conversation as it relates to suffering and persecution. So I just want you to know, as we step into this, we step into this needing to hear from the Lord. I step into this asking the spirit of God to guide us, believing that there is something that we collectively and individually need to hear from God's word. So we'll be in 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 12. And I want to read verses 12 through 19. This is the ground that we're going to seek to cover here today. And what we do each week at Shades is we stand for the reading of God's word. I want to ask you if you're willing, able to do that now, to stand for the reading of God's word, because we need to be reminded In a challenging topic like suffering and persecution, we need to be reminded that the word of God does not shy away from these things. The word of God does not shy away from difficult realities that we face in life. The word of God speaks what we need to hear about challenging circumstances and situations. And that is certainly true as the word of God addresses suffering, specifically the suffering of the people of God. Listen to the word of the Lord. What God says is right and good and true. Verse 12 of 1 Peter 4. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you 
as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you also may rejoice and be glad when his glory is reviled. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let any one of you suffer as a Christian. Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for the judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This is the word of the Lord, a very challenging word of the Lord, but a very important word of the Lord that we need to hear. So let me pray over us very quickly and then we'll be seated. Father, we pray that you would use this word to speak into our lives what you know we need to hear. And I pray, Lord God, anytime we step into a challenging conversation that is illuminated by your word, that your Holy Spirit would guide us. Show us what we need to see and use this time for your glory. It is in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing with me. As we have been making our way through this study of First Peter, we have been reminded time and time again that Peter is calling the church to live in such a way that it highlights and points to what has been received by the people of God. What is that? What has been received by the people of God? Well, Peter sets up this letter by reminding the church of the good news of the finished work of Christ, what we would call the gospel that Jesus Christ lived a perfect and sinless life, that he gave that perfect and sinless life that he lived in the flesh here on earth as a sacrifice or atonement for our sin at the cross. He did this through suffering. Suffering is part of the story of what Christ endured so that we might know him, so that we might receive forgiveness, so that we might be made new, so that we might be called one of his own. And Peter reminds us of this gospel and says, if this gospel has been received in your life, if this gospel has become the foundation on which you stand, if this gospel has transformed you in the finished work of Jesus, your life should be a reflection of this gospel in a way that looks different to the world around you. And we've used this term time and time again in this series that Peter uses in first, or excuse me, in the beginning of this letter in chapter one, where he calls the church elect exiles. 
What does that mean? It means the church is to be strangers in a foreign land. It means the church is to understand that for such a time as this, we have been chosen by God to live in a different way, in a strange way compared to the world around us, that we might be used by God to communicate and share and reveal this good news of the gospel that has been received by the people of God. And so what we've said over and over again is Peter is reminding the church that what is normal for the church is oftentimes going to appear strange to the world. What is normal for the people of God is oftentimes going to appear strange to those around us who have not received Jesus. And that certainly is true as Peter is talking about suffering. As Peter is talking about suffering, as Peter is talking about persecution among the people of God, he talks about it in such a way and talks about it using language that, that when we first read it, especially in thinking about what's normal in our context here today, it sounds so strange. This conversation around suffering, I think for many of us is going to feel very strange because the way the word of God talks about suffering is the word of God actually says suffering for the people of God is normal. And that's strange. The word of God makes it clear our suffering is normal for a reason. It is a normal part of our sanctification. Listen to the language that Peter even uses in that first verse we're considering today, verse 12 of 1 Peter chapter 4. This seems really, really strange, but Peter says, hey, for the people of God, it's not strange. Look back at the scripture. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. This is not strange, Peter says. It is normal. Do not be surprised by suffering. Do not be surprised by trials. They are normal. And do not be surprised that they happen in the life of a Christian. Do you see that Peter says when it comes upon you, not if, he's saying when, he's saying this is gonna be a reality for the people of God. Don't be surprised by it. And yet, even that language is so strange because we think many times that life is just supposed to be comfortable and easy and everything's supposed to go our way all the time. And when it does not, it, it feels so strange. It completely catches us off guard. It is a surprise when things don't go the way we had planned. And, and yet, Peter is saying, church, you must wake up and see with a new perspective and you must recognize that what you're walking through, it's not strange. It's actually a normal part of what God knows needs to happen in the life of one who is his child. Because it is through struggle, it is through trial, it is through suffering that our faith grows. 
This is deep water that Peter is taking us into. But it's so important that we hear this. The language that is used in this verse is very intentional, but it sounds strange. Peter calls the church beloved. That first word in verse 12, beloved. He's saying it is because you are loved that you are going to go through some fiery trials. It is because you are loved by a perfect heavenly father who knows what you need and knows that, that the way you will grow in your faith and the way you will grow in your dependence on him and the way you will open your hands and let go of all the things that you try to control that only a sovereign God can control is when you walk through a trial. And when you walk through a struggle, he knows the only way you will loosen your grip on the things of this world is through this normal, necessary part of our sanctification that is called suffering. And our perfect heavenly father knows that we need to see how faithful he is. And please hear me, church, this is so important we do not see the faithfulness of God on full display when life is easy and comfortable. Now we can experience the faithfulness of God on the good days, praise God. We can experience the faithfulness of God in the comfortable things in life. That's a good thing. But we do not see the faithfulness of God on full display in the comfortable, easy things of life. We see the faithfulness of God on full display in the hard and challenging things of life. And God knows this. And he knows that if our faith is going to grow, it is going to grow through trials and struggles. Not only that, God knows that if our eyes are going to be fixed on eternity, we've talked about that in this series, if we're going to be, if we're going to be really recognizing that our time on this earth and the number of days that we have in this life are very momentary, they are but a blip on the radar screen of eternity, that, that we have a very small number of days compared to eternity. If we're going to live in light of that reality and actually fix our eyes on eternity and actually live for the things that last for eternity and actually love that we're going to be headed to an eternity with Christ. And we're going to have to be reminded in this broken world that this life is not our permanent home. And the way we are reminded of that is when we walk through trials and struggle and suffering and we long for something greater than this life. We long for a day when all wrongs are made right. We long for a day when every tear is wiped from our eyes. We long for a day that will only be on display in eternity with our Savior. You see, wired in the heart of every man and every woman and every child is this desire for something that this world cannot provide. That's a gift from God. You and I have a longing for something better. That's a gift from God. That's to point us 
to God. And the way that longing is highlighted in such a way that we, that we long for God himself is through trials and struggle and suffering that remind us this life is not all there is. And so the word of God is showing us suffering is a normal part of our sanctification. For when we face trials and struggles, it tests our faith and it grows our faith in the faithfulness of God. James, the half-brother of Jesus, writes about this in his letter, James chapter 1 Verses two through four, we see another very strange statement about trials and suffering. But look at what the word of God says. Again, the word of God is saying, this is actually normal. This is a different way of seeing things from the world around you. James 1, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. This is strange. We don't set out at the beginning of a new year and say, I want to list all my goals for the new year. And at the top of the list is, I want more trials. Unless you're a lawyer and then you're writing that every year. I understand that, but most of us are not. And so we don't say, I want more trials. I want more suffering so that I can have more growth. Now that's a strange way to view things. And the word of God is not saying, hey, you're to long for suffering. That's not what the word of God is saying. But the word of God is saying, when suffering comes, you're to say, this is a, this is a welcome gift in my life. That's hard to say a welcome gift in my life that is going to take me to a place that I never would have gone with my Lord without it. So consider it joy when you face a trial because it's testing your faith. What is that all about? It's saying that's actually showing you how faithful your God is. It's showing you that when your faith is put in Christ, it can be tested and it can be found true. It can be found sure. It's highlighting what you have been given. Not only that, our Heavenly Father knows that it is through suffering and it is through struggle and it is through trial that many times our greatest ministry and our greatest impact will be born. This is challenging to consider, but the reality for most of us is the greatest ministry that we will be a part of and the greatest impact that will happen through our life is not gonna come because we spent six months lounging on the beach in the Caribbean. And God says, okay, now that you've had this hard time for six months on the beach in the Caribbean, Here's this ministry. No, oftentimes what happens is God uses those seasons of struggle, those seasons of trial to create in us a compassion and an empathy for others in such a way that we may have never had it before. And it also illuminates the vision in our mind to something that says, hey, God wants to use this somehow for his glory because our God never wastes a hurt. He never wastes a hurt. 
And he wants to birth in you and birth in me something out of the pain and struggles that we have walked through that can be turned and redeemed for his glory. I love this quote from author and theologian D.A. Carson. He says, suffering brings us to the end of ourselves. Therefore, it makes us rely more on God and it makes us more empathetic and compassionate to other people. It is likely to deepen us in how we say things, how we see people, how we view Christ and what we need of his grace. The more you see your need for the Savior, the more you are suited and positioned to be used by that Savior to minister to others. But not only that, and this is the last thing I'll say before we move further into 1 Peter 4, we're still talking right now about the fact that suffering is a normal part of our sanctification, but it is through suffering, it is through trials, it is through struggles that God creates in us a hunger and a thirst for his word that is unlike any other. Where we begin to see that the word of God literally is the bread of life where we begin to cling to the the word of God like a man in a desert finding a canteen on a hot day, where it quenches our thirst, it satisfies our longings. We begin to see how beautiful and powerful the word of God truly is. The source of life that it provides. I love the way the psalmist writes of this in Psalm 119, verses 71 and 72. These beautiful statements in Psalm 119 say this, it is good for me that I was afflicted that I might learn your statutes. For the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. You can't say that unless you've walked through a struggle and you've seen how beautiful the word of God is to speak to the very thing you need in the midst of that struggle. It is good for me that I was afflicted that I might learn your statutes. I might learn how faithful you are to fulfill your promise. I might learn how beautiful the hope that I have because of what your word reveals truly is. Suffering is a normal part of the sanctification process for the people of God. Our heavenly father uses trials and suffering to draw us into his faithfulness and his provision even more. But not only that, there's another very strange thing that we see in this text. Strange compared to the world around us, but strange for many of us in the church as well. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 13 and 14 reveal this to us, that suffering for the sake of the gospel is a gift. Suffering for the sake of the gospel is a gift. You talk about a strange statement. That's a strange statement in our world. 
1 Peter 4, 13 through 14 says, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. This is strange. If you suffer for the name of Christ, you are blessed. If you are insulted by others who don't understand you because you are a follower of Jesus, you are blessed. As strange as this sounds, make no mistake about it. This is the way of Jesus. And the word of God teaches us that it is through suffering, it is through struggle in Jesus' name that we actually receive a blessing of God that is greater than anything that can be found in this world apart from him. And certainly Peter is thinking back on his time walking with Jesus as one of those first disciples. Certainly Peter is remembering the teaching of Jesus as he writes these words in this letter and thinks back to that unbelievable sermon that, that Peter got to hear in person on the Sea of Galilee as, as Jesus gathered with a crowd one day and preached this beautiful, eloquent sermon of what it means to be one of his his followers, one of his disciples, we call that sermon the Sermon on the Mount. It says some strange things when we think about the world that we live in. And at the beginning of that sermon, Jesus talks about what it means to be truly blessed as one of his followers. And what he says sounds strange to the world, but so beautiful to those who walk with him. He talks about persecution. He talks about struggles and trials. And he says this, Matthew 5, verses 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Do you know what Jesus is doing here? Not only is he showing people the incredible blessing for those who suffer for his name, but he is saying, look, this has been the normal story for the people of God for generations. The prophets were persecuted for speaking the truth of God. And the prophets have been rewarded. Those who are persecuted for the sake of Jesus will be rewarded a thousand times over in eternity. Peter here is reminding us of this great sermon 
and reminding us of the way of Jesus that if you follow the suffering servant who went to the cross so that forgiveness of sins could be granted and grace and mercy could be extended and an invitation to the family of God could be given and a promise of a home in eternity could be yours. If you follow that suffering servant, the only way is to take up a cross. The only way is to take up a cross. And when you do, and you face persecution, and you face suffering, and you walk through trials, you have the promise of God that you will be blessed. You will be blessed in this life, but even more so, you will be blessed beyond what you can comprehend in the age to come. This is the promise of God for those who walk with Jesus and are willing to follow wherever he may lead. I believe as Peter is writing this letter, he is writing from a place of great confidence. He has seen this lived out in his own life. He has walked through suffering and he knows that he will walk through more suffering, but he is confident and he is sure of his savior. He knows where he is going. He is clinging to the hope and the promise that he has been given. And so he stands confident as he writes this letter. Please don't miss this. And this is where we'll land the plane today. In the midst of his confidence at the blessing of God in suffering, he reminds the church of something that is so incredibly important. As Peter shows us, not all suffering is the same. Not all suffering is the same. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 15 and 16 say this in a very challenging way. And, and I'm just going to tell you, church, right up front, that this is heavy. This is going to be challenging for most of us to hear in the church. But listen to what the word of God lays before us. Verse 15 of 1 Peter 4. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Here Peter begins to contrast two types of suffering. He says there are those who suffer rightly so because of consequences of sin. And he lists some pretty big sins there. Murderer, thief, evildoer. And then he adds meddler to that, which I thought was kind of interesting there that you find meddler with murderer, thief, and evildoer. Well, what is the word of God saying? The word of God is saying, hey, stay focused on what's most important. Don't be running around getting in everybody else's business. Don't be running around like a busybody or a gossip. You're actually missing it all together and you're going to suffer for that. But you're not suffering because of your faith, you're suffering because of your sin. There's a big difference in the word of God between suffering for the consequences of sin and suffering for the sake of the gospel. So what are the differences? Well, suffering for the sake of the gospel 
happens inside the protection and the provision of God. It strengthens our faith and the faith of others and it always brings glory to God. But suffering for the sake of sin or suffering because of our sin, it actually happens outside of the protection and provision of God. It leads people away from the faith once all delivered to the saints and it attempts to rob or distract from the glory of God. In short, you could say this, that suffering for the sake of the gospel highlights humility which is the very characteristic of our savior who is called gentle and lowly. But suffering for the sake of sin highlights pride and self-righteousness, which is the very characteristic of the enemy of God. It's a very big difference here. Not all suffering is the same. The word of God wants us to understand. And so when we talk about suffering, when Peter writes about suffering, he says, church, this needs to be an opportunity for you to stop and examine yourself and ask the question, if I'm facing trials, if I'm facing suffering, if I'm walking through a difficult season, if I'm facing persecution, Is it for the sake of the gospel or is it actually because of consequences for sin in my life? It's a tough question to ask. But Peter says this, 1 Peter 4, 17 and 18, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. Stop and examine yourself. It's easy to examine everyone else. It's easy to point the finger at everyone else and say, oh, I know why he's suffering. Oh, I've seen his life. No, stop and examine yourself. It is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Here, Peter is showing us the consequences of sin for those who reject the good news of the gospel, for those who keep a hardened heart and keep God at a distance. And he says, if this is a quote of Proverbs 11, if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? This is weighty. This is weighty. But here Peter is pointing to, please hear this, a judgment of God on the people of God, the household of God, that is actually a confrontation of sin with a desire to lead the people of God back to repentance. He's not talking about the final judgment. He's not talking about the ultimate day of judgment, but he's talking about a judgment of God on the household of God that has an intended purpose of opening the eyes of the people of God to see their sin, that they might be led back to repentance, that they might then be used even greater for the glory of God. And this may sound strange, but when the judgment of God confronts the household of God, the church with its sin, it is actually a gift of grace. And it is evidence of the kindness of a God who loves his bride and loves 
his people and wants his people to walk in the freedom of his mercy and his grace. I want to invite you to turn with me real quickly to Romans 2. Then we'll end this text in 1 Peter 4.19. We're almost done. Stay with me for just a moment. Romans chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Listen to what the Apostle Paul writes in this letter to the church in Rome, one of the first churches. And there's this very strange but very important statement about God confronting sin among the household of God, among his people. Listen to what the scripture says, Romans 2, 4, and 5. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Now church, this is so important. Please don't miss this. We must see that God is never casual about sin, ever. God is never dismissive about sin. God never turns the blind eye to sin. And that includes sin in the household of God. Please don't miss this. God loves sinners, including religious sinners, including self-righteous sinners, including those who act like they're better than everyone else because of their religion. And in God's love for sinners, he confronts sin. And he says, this needs to begin in the household of God. He brings loving judgment to the household of God that is evidence of his kindness to lead the household of God to repentance back to him so that in humility, the church can be used by God for his desired purpose to bring glory to his name and to point others to the gift that he has provided. And so church, this is a sobering challenge to us all because we have no problem seeing and judging the sins of others around us in the world. But God is saying to us, to the household of God, invite the kind, loving spirit of God that confronts sin into your life. Invite the Spirit of God to reveal to you what needs to be brought to the cross. Invite the Spirit of God to lead you to repentance. Repentance that sounds so strange is to be normal for the people of God. So let it begin with the household of God. And then let the household of God be used for God's glory to point to this beautiful gift that we have received from a kind and patient Savior. 1 Peter 4.19 Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This is the call for the church 
to turn to God, to invite our Savior to reveal in us where repentance is needed and to trust the kindness of God that conforms us more and more into his image through the normal process of sanctification that leads us to live for his glory and point others to what he has done. Church, when the hope of the gospel is our foundation, when the hope of the gospel is the desire of our hearts and we seek to live for the glory of God above all else, the people of God are an unstoppable force for good that invite others to see and receive this amazing gift of amazing grace. But if that's gonna be our story, Suffering's going to be part of the story. And the question is, will we invite that suffering that is a part of the story to transform us even more into the image of our suffering servant so that our lives can point to the one who has set us free? Let me pray for us as we close. Oh, Father, I know this is a heavy word. I know this has been a lengthy word. But, Father, it is my prayer that you would use this word for your glory in our lives. Whatever it is that we need to take from this word today, Lord, I pray that we would take it that, it, would, that it would become a part of our lives, that it would transform us from the inside out, that your, that your word would continue to read us and that we would not be the same because of what you have said and what you have done. Father, for those among us who are suffering, I, I pray your, your strength and your mercy and your grace over their lives right now. You know the details of what they're walking through. You know everything that they are experiencing. You know the, the places of pain. You, you know the moments of doubt. You know what they've been carrying. Lord God, I pray your provision and your protection on them. I pray that you would strengthen their faith. I pray, Lord God, that you would meet them in their hour of need and you would show your faithfulness time and time again. I pray, Lord God, that their story would be more and more a story that is a gift to others as they fix their eyes on the gift that they have been given and live for eternity in this temporary life. Father, I pray for those among us who perhaps have been wrestling with their faith, for those among us who perhaps have, have never had a relationship with Jesus, and then they hear a very strange message like this. I pray, Lord God, today that they would see how amazing this gift of our Savior truly is. That our Savior stepped into suffering on our behalf, that our Savior stepped into suffering so that our sin could be forgiven, that our Savior stepped into suffering so that he could pull us out to something greater and point us to an eternal life with him. 
And I pray, Lord God, if there's any among us who have never trusted in what the Savior Jesus has done, that today would be the day when they'd say, Jesus, I'm ready. I'm ready to follow you in faith, even in the midst of a sermon on suffering. I'm ready to follow you in faith wherever you will lead. Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the power of your word. We love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, would you stand with me? As-